Chris C says, some of us don't have local card shows. Wish we did. Yeah, that's that sucks, Chris. That 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 sucks. That's all I can say. You got to travel to them. Hopefully, you're able to do that. Sometimes Colin Murray still has that 1976 basketball set that I sold them a couple of expos ago. Glad to hear it. Uh, well, I actually I would have expected you to to you know sell it, flip it, make some money on that. But I'm glad you uh, you're still sitting on it. Hopefully, it works out for you, uh, Colin. Definitely. Uh, I like this comment here. I haven't read it all yet, so I'm going to read it on the fly. But the beginning, I really like from Stukes, Baseball Cards and Curiosities. He says, part of selling to dealers is networking. I've known certain dealers for 40 plus years. It's knowing the right people. Then you can sell to anyone for good profit. And in my case, support my collection. I think that's a great point because we're not, we're kind of just glossing over some of the intangible benefits of being at a card show. But however, you know, a, some dealers will be creative in how they will take in your collection. Maybe they'll they'll buy, maybe, maybe they'll pay you a certain amount of money. Maybe they'll split their profit with you. Maybe they'll give you 5,000, but if they make over eight, they'll split the difference with, they'll split the incremental amount with you. People can get creative out there. Uh, Fowl Fieball has a very simple question for you, Paul. Do you collect cards? I'm so happy you asked this, Fowl Fieball. I do not collect cards. It's not because... I don't love the idea of collecting cards. It's just a personal choice I've made. It just doesn't do it for me. It doesn't resonate with me to know that I would have that card for longer than the selling marker. I just enjoy so much the chase and the challenge of, can I make this card make money for me? that I'm just more fascinated by that than I am by holding the card long-term. This is something Jeremy knows I've talked with Iowa Dave about, and I admire collectors who build collections, but it's just not authentic to me. So I don't do it. I love your, I love your transparent honesty. Like Paul does not pretend to be anything that he is not. And you know, uh, some of, some of my audience, some hobby members, some people that saw my promo for this episode on on Instagram or X or YouTube or Facebook might thought what's Jeremy doing having a card flipper on listen I'm I like I like Paul I like Paul and he's a nice guy and do I approach the hobby the way Paul does absolutely not no I do not I'm a I love I don't have selling markers for my cards I but I find it interesting and I also believe that that you and people like you flippers your your audience are part of the ecosystem just like breakers I don't break but I like that people do because that's how cards get into the ecosystem. I like that people flip because they are bringing cards from the Culture Collision Show in Atlanta to the Burbank Show in, in California to the Expo in Toronto. And they're finding, uh, they're finding hopefully either another flipper or eventually, ultimately, a collector to buy that card. It's, it's, you're, you're taking the cards to where they need to go. And I, I like that. So I want to shut you out on that. Um, comment here from cardboard prof. He says, Paul, curious how you pay the bills for your family. Are you full-time on cards plus your paid content? Or do you also have a day job or something else? Yeah, I'm glad you took this one. Cause I saw it come in and I, I love to answer this. So I am full-time on cards, but only very recently it took me, as I mentioned, it took me about four years to kind of build this business, right? Because it's not easy to build an audience. First of all, it's not easy to get good at something. I mean that it's hard to figure out how do I provide value? How do I get good at this? And so it took me two years to learn how to actually make money flipping cards myself. It took me all through today, the last four years and, and into the future at, at continuing to try to get good at creating content and building an audience for my show and, and bringing people into the website. So I'm fortunate enough, Cardboard Profit, to have made the decision at the beginning of 2024, end of 2023, that I'm going to quit my other job as a web developer, uh, digital marketer, and go full-time into flipping cards and nooffseason.com. So right now it is, I am full-time and my entire ecosystem is flipping for myself. That's I have multiple revenue streams within this, right? Flipping for myself. Uh, some sponsorships of the Sports Card Strategy Show and the nooffseason.com Sports Card Network. 
and the paid subscribers. So I'm very fortunate to have over the last four years basically be able to put this together. And it was part of my plan. Like I didn't want to build websites forever. I didn't want to do digital marketing consulting for other people's businesses forever. I wanted to take all those services and put it into my own business. The only thing is I had to get actually good at flipping cards first. So it took me a while, but I'm here and I'm really excited to be doing it full time now. There you go. Thank you. For the question, Cardboard Prophet Ryan, uh, more, we have lots of comments, Paul, so we're going to keep on going through them. EJ Ferrer is enjoying the episode. Love talking shop, especially when it's about strategic efforts to growth in the hobby. And I got to shout out EJ. He was a, a co-creator of the Burbank Card Show. He since left and has now joined Fanatics Events as a director of dealer, uh, dealer relationships, something like that, EJ, if you're still there. I'm not sure exactly. That's what I thought I read, but congratulations to EJ. Uh, on his career move. Uh, and, you know, we ju I just said the Burbank Card Show, and there's EJ, who was uh, the co-creator, along with the card father, Rob Barris of Burbank Sports Cards. Okay, Bob's Big Boy offers the, op the option of selling your cards to repack companies. He says they do pay upwards of 90% at bigger shows. Not a bad liquidation opportunity if you need cash fast. No fees, no shipping. Make up for the 10% discount. Generally, Paul, have you thought about in your content recommending to your audience your paid subscribers free subscribers that maybe that's an option for them as well to get out of some cards at certain times i haven't thought of that but I, this is why i love doing this because i learn every show i do and every time i talk to anybody in the hobby i learn more potential sports card strategies so I think that this is something I need to look into because I do actually get the question a lot in terms because what will happen is people will be like, OK, I, I made all the wrong decisions before I found the sports card strategy show. So now what do I do with all these cards? And so if repack companies are interested in, you know, let's say they're not really the right card for the right player, but they're still like somewhat desirable. And, and you know, if, if repack companies are willing to buy those, um, I do need to learn more about that so I can determine if that's a way for people to liquidate. There you have it. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate that. Christy makes a, a follow-up to the repack thing. He says repacks have zero accountability and honesty, unfortunately. So I disagree with that, Chris. Um, first of all, I just the reason I disagree with it is because you're being absolute in this comment. I do believe, and I do agree with Chris, that there are repackers who have zero accountability and honesty, but I think there is a, a contingent of them who are above board and try to do it right, a full checklist and make sure everybody gets what they get. And they're not <coughs> they're not doubling their 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 you know their investment, which I think is, is a bit egregious. But I don't think it's zero at this point. I think maybe there's nobody overseeing it, but I think there are some who are trying to do it right. And to those people, I commend them. People who are trying to do it without, you know, trying to get one over, trying to be dishonest uh, deliberately. Yeah, no time for them at all. Uh, okay, uh, a couple more comments here. And then here, Hobby Champ says, if collectors don't sell, then who the hell are collectors supposed to get cards from? The flipper hate is absurd and comes from a place of ignorance, not going to sugarcoat. I, I agree. I mean, that's that's kind of funny because a lot of people do like to talk down about flippers, but there's no card without flippers. There's no card show vendors, any LCS you walk into that you have a ton of respect for are card flippers. But they're but we can we call them dealers. Because because the word flipper has the negative connotation. We've talked about this on the show several times before, Paul. Flippers, dealers, same thing for the most part. I believe one has overhead and maybe one doesn't. But still, they're all part of the ecosystem. And um, I'm, I'm okay with it personally. So, okay. Uh, here, this is a really good question. Because I was going to ask you the same one. It's from Tim Larson. He says, could you give an example or two of markers? He says for college athletes. I'm going to tweak the question a bit and i'm i i so no offense to paul but i i want you to answer it this way sorry no offense to tim paul i want you you to answer it this way instead give example markers across anything and everything because i've kind of been wondering what are some examples of, of markers that you speak to because it's a key part of your strategy yeah so i'll that's great i love it okay so baseball prospects so a lot of people think baseball prospecting is risky it's not. It's actually one of the least risky sports card strategies because one of our guidelines 
at nooffseason.com. And this is behind the paid wall, but I talk about it all the time for free on, on the show. It's buying top three prospects that with an expected call update of within the next six to 12 months and buying their Bowman Chrome first prospect autos or variations of that. It can be graded. It doesn't have to be graded and selling at the call up. So the marker is to sell at the call up. We see historical data, pattern recognition, mitigating risk is selling at the call up. So we'll call, we'll call the call up a marker. And we'll also specifically within a marker, we'll call it a sell by date. So it's like an expiration date on milk or, or meat or something like that. Whereas there, there are, so for example, we're looking at, there's also the MLB spring showcase. That's going to be this mid March. So this is an example of a pre sell by date marker that could happen for people like uh, Jackson holiday, Jackson Churio, James Wood. I think Ethan solace is a prospect that's playing in this. So, so the point of what I'm saying is the selling marker is the call up. That's the sell by date but there could be earlier markers that could move the needle for other guys based on the hype around them. And the spring showcase MLB showcase this year is an example of get your cards ready to sell potentially at a selling marker that could happen earlier than the selling marker that we thought. Um, football is a very easy one as well. You know, we figured out football, there's a hype cycle in late August, early September. So you want to essentially, this is a blanket statement, so it's not applicable to every single player, but for the sake of time, I'll say that generally you can buy football cards between November, uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas or Thanksgiving and New Year. So late November and early January. And then you can buy again, not the guys that are in the playoffs, the guys that are in the playoffs don't go down, but for people that are not necessarily in the playoffs, uh, that's a good time to buy them. And then also June, because no one's really paying attention to the June is a pocket generally for football. It's after the draft hype cycle and the free agency hype cycle. And then it's before the training camp. And then what happens on social media in August is a bunch of hype starts happening with people making plays in training camp. And then what happens after week four, week three or week four is injuries perform unexpected performance issues that go the other way what you thought you weren't right about certain guys and then the mid-season dip so you want to sell the selling marker for nfl guys is late august early september um i'll go to college next i love i've, I've gone into college cards big time number one because of what bowman's done with the bowman u chrome sets they're outstanding now they're they're licensed so you have the team branding you have great photos and you have Chrome cards with autos, you have low serial numbered autos. There's very investable cards. They also come out before the player, significantly before the player will get drafted, potentially. The selling marker is the draft, whether it's the NBA draft or whether it's the NFL draft. So that's the selling marker. Finally, Jeremy, I have to say, while basketball is my favorite sport, it is the hardest one for me to figure out a selling marker. The only selling marker that I can really come up with is when a top player on a top team wins the NBA championship. And because I am absolutely horrible at predicting that I've, I've found it really, really hard to make money flipping basketball cards, unless it's a college card and we know they're going to get drafted or like the Wembenyama example. That's an exception because there was a clear selling marker for that. So there may be selling markers for individual guys, but once you get into the pros and you're established like a Giannis or a Jason Tatum, they got to win the NBA. They got to they got to be the finals MVP and that's really hard to pinpoint that selling marker. Awesome awesome information. I have a follow-up question. Would a would a selling marker also be and I I I believe it is. So I'll just state that, but so you've talked about prospects, you've even talked about some veterans like Giannis and Tatum you just mentioned, but what about retired players? What about a player who is maybe going to get into the Hall of Fame? And I've always thought that, you know, the a general a, a general theory out there is that when a player is inducted into the Hall of Fame, there's going to be more interest in their cards. So at the Hall of Fame ceremony, that's when the interest happens. And I've been saying for, I've said it on this show for years, so when, when it comes up, no, that's not the selling marker. The selling marker is when they announce six months earlier that who's going into the Hall of Fame at the ceremony six months later. That's the selling marker because... They just announced it. Now people are going to start to clue in. People aren't going to wait for him to get 
inducted into the Hall of Fame, they're going to want to know that he is going to be. And then sometimes it's like people just recognize that a player is too good not to be, so there really is no selling marker because they're they've always had that priced in. So there, and then there's the players when they die. That's another one that now that's that is a selling marker because you have a very short window of interest, but you have to act fast because otherwise it takes no time for that, for those markets to come back down. Same thing goes with hall of fame induction or announcement. I should say those are, those are little blips on the graph on the chart. (laughs) You're right. They are. And we just did a little analysis on this a couple episodes ago where we looked at, because the baseball hall of fame announcement just happened uh, a couple weeks ago. And so we did a little, analysis on like okay d- does this announcement move the needle more than the induction ceremony and of course we kind of knew the answer like you're saying but we did the we did the breakdown on the show and what we found is that yes it does but it still has to be it does specifically for the announcement like you're right um not necessarily the induction ceremony but it still has to be for the right player like the player otherwise it's marginal right like if it's if it's a because baseball a lot of it for collectors, I believe, um, is a, is they, you know, collector baseball collectors want to collect guys who are in the hall of fame. And that's awesome. I love that people do that. I think that makes sense to me, but it's, if it's not a widely known big name hall of famer, it's only going to be like a marginal, maybe, maybe 15 to 20% move in the market. A guy that I'm looking at though, is Ichiro for next year. So, you know, I think, I think if, you know, I, I believe Ichiro is, is this will be the first ballot that he's eligible on and next year. And he's a big name. I mean, he's, you know, international and he's got more than 3000 hits in the MLB. I think I mean, who knows how many hits he has in his professional career uh, worldwide. And so I think, you know, Ichiro is a guy that is an example of someone who will definitely move the needle big time. I think when he gets the hall of fame, uh, announcement. However, you could argue with me that, you know, maybe some of that's already baked in, but I think if you could get uh, good deals on Ichiro cards for the next maybe uh, three to four months before, you know, before baseball starts to get in full swing this year, um, you could make some money on some Ichiro cards potentially when, when he gets that press of the first ballot hall of fame announcement next year. Yeah. Yeah. That, I like your international call out on Ichiro for sure. I mean, he's a special, special player, uh, no doubt with, with a lot of appeal, but as I mentioned, that is a, sh- that's a small window. It's a very short window. Same with when a player passes away, you know, isn't it nice to talk about, but it's a, it's reality it happens to everybody. Uh, those are short windows and, uh, keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> uh, Chris C follows up. He says, uh, name a repacker who's honest. I believe I believe the Arena Club repackers are honest. I believe uh, Dave and Adams um, uh, Hit Parade. I believe they're honest with their repack products. And Leaf Leaf has done repacks for a while. They're honest with their. I had, I'd have no problem purchasing into any of those companies repack. And I'm sure there's more. Chris uh, Chris C also says the flippers I most despise are the ones who buy huge amounts of new wax and then make money while clearing shelves at Target. So this is something that I'd honestly like. This is not even on my radar. I, you know, maybe it should be, but I don't. I don't buy retail wax ever. I don't think I ever have. So when I talk about flippers, just so this audience knows, when I in my head when I'm talking about flippers, I am not talking about wax flippers. That is that's something totally different. Uh, Al Turwell has joined us. What's going on, Alan? Good to see you as always. Jamie Croft joins us live for the first time. Jamie, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. The professor says, I have a PSA 10 Rob Anthony on my ComC account, courtesy of Paul Strategy, and I'm waiting for the sell marker. The professor always learning on the job for sure. Uh, okay. All right. I've, I've, I'm going to go to some of my questions now. Lots, lots, of, uh, lots of great comments from you guys out there. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Hey, I'm going to ask you, if you're not yet subscribed to the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel, take a moment, please, and do so. Greatly appreciate it. For sure. Just Handles says it right. Those are not flippers. They are scalpers. Thank you, Just Handles. That gives me a framework that I can separate them from and say, yeah, those aren't flippers. Those are those are wax scalpers. That's different. So I'm with you. Just Handles. Thank you. Comment of the night right there so far, in my opinion, because I really, I feel, I feel, 
just like I, I can add that to my vernacular now. Thank you so much with that just handled. A good way to separate that in my head. Paul, any other comments before I ask you my next question? It's only that I think our guy, the professor, means Roman Anthony, not Rob Anthony, because Roman Anthony is a prospect for the Boston Red Sox. Hopefully you got a good deal on that card, and there definitely will be a sell marker. Uh, professor, I would look at the spring the spring showcase potentially to move to move Roman Anthony, but check and see if his market moves. Otherwise, hold till the call up. Bob's big boy says, keep in mind that multiple people using the same strategy can backfire. For instance, when Jim Brown passed away, it was obvious that many had hordes and stacks of autos. The market flooded, prices dropped. And that's why I said it's a short window because a lot of people are thinking that same thing. So you got to be like right there first or else just don't or, or else just wait and let the natural market take place. Here's my question that I want to ask you, Paul. The mark, okay. So the market, we use the term corrected, but let's just face it: the market has been going down overall in value, like generally speaking, since the peak in 2021. Has it been harder for you to find opportunities to share with your audience since we've seen that happen? Yeah, it's always hard to find opportunities. I mean, I spend at least two or three hours a day, just strictly researching opportunities, you know, because then I can bring them to the audience first at the sports card strategy show, of course, at nooffseason.com. but it, it's not easy. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of, a lot of research, a lot of adding things to the watch list. It, sometimes it takes, you know, buying cards that you wouldn't normally buy just to kind of taste it and see if it's going to work. Um, sometimes it, takes selling things in a different way than you're used to selling things to see if that works better. Right. So I'm still doing a lot of trial and error and, and trying new things. Like the other day I just decided to, you know, other thing too is like, don't get too tunnel vision with it. Like don't think that what you have working or what has worked for you over the last several months is going to continue to work because if you get to tunnel vision, you might miss other opportunities that are in front of you. So that's the other thing is that the other day I was at target and I, I saw a box of Don Russ football, 2023. Uh, it was a sealed set and it was, it was 50 bucks. And I thought, okay, um, there's like 13 good rookies in here that I could grade at PSA and PSA had a $15 special at the time. And so I did the math right there with my daughter, <laughs> did the math. And I'm like, I think if these get tens, you know, they could be, if I submit 13 tens out of this box and that's something I never would have done, but, but because it is, it is hard to come up with what's next, what's next, what's next. Um, you got to keep trying things. And so um, I'm not, I'm not the type of person that's out there buying wax at target, by the way, that was, that was a one-off, but, uh, but again, you know, you got to stay, you got to stay open. And you got to do that at card shows too. At card shows, you can't go in thinking I'm going to buy this one player because you're going to miss all the other things that you could, you could find at that card show. So yeah, it's not easy, man, but that's what I love about it. I love, I love that. It's not easy. That's why, so that's why some people love to collect and they love the chase of adding things to their collection. I love the chase of trying to figure out how I can make money and how I can, find something that's repeatable to help other people make money as well. Okay. Fair. Alan Terwell wants to know, do you use your indicators, your markers for sealed wax as well? And the reason why I think this is a really good question, and I'm not much of a sealed wax guy, but the reason why I think it's a good question is because sealed wax does have player like rookie classes inside where those players will have markers. Do you ever apply your strategy to sealed wax? I've tried it and I stopped it because what I found is it's not as reliable and consistent as singles. Singles are so much more reliable and consistent because the buyer can see what it is. So when you when you're selling sealed wax, I look at I look I reverse engineer the entire play. So I look at what's going to happen when I sell it. And what I found is that when you are selling something where the buyer knows exactly what it is, you're going to be able to execute that play 
and maximize the amount of revenue, total gross revenue that you would get from that. Thus, your profit is going to be bigger than if you're selling something where the buyer doesn't know exactly what it is. And so sealed wax, while we know it's like 2020 prism football and it could have Joe Burrow and Tua and Jalen Hurts in it and Jordan Love. And because Jordan Love now played well at the end of this season, maybe that now increases the value. It's still, in my mind, it's kind of like the equivalent of buying like a a dual patch with two players on it. Like, like if 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 your potential buyer doesn't like the second player on the card, the value goes down. So I kind of see sealed wax in that way. And that's from my own experience trying to do what Alan's asking if I do or not. It just it just doesn't work as well because you have to kind of explain to the buyer there could be a Joe Burrow in here. You know, a lot of buyers don't know that, but if the buyer sees it's a Joe Burrow card, that's going to sell better. Yeah. Okay. No, very fair. Um, Next question I have for you is, so you're giving advice for people to make money. What happens if the advice you give results in people losing money, maybe lots of money? How do you personally feel about that? How do you respond to that? What's your Paul? Do you have a policy on it? How do you have, has it ever happened? Have you ever had to kind of say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like how, how do you handle that? It's for sure happened. I handle it. I think I like to think I handle it the same way that I handle everything else, which is just full transparency. I made a bad call. I was wrong. You know, is there anything that I can really do to make up for it? I think that's a slippery slope. I think that I've been fortunate enough to have built solid relationships with the people that are taking my advice to where it hasn't backfired yet. And hopefully it won't because I'm certainly not going to bat a thousand, but I think that what I'm banking on from my end and from the audience's end, from the family's end, the nooffseason.com family that listens to me is that we all understand the context that if you look at things in the macro, you're going to win more than you lose because our, our guideline strategies in plays are built. They are built to mitigate risk. And we wouldn't be doing this unless we truly figured it out for ourselves. We will get criticism. We get more criticism from time to time on like, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic because we get more criticism for not being risky enough with what we say. And I think flipping's already risky. So I'm trying to mitigate risk. Um, I certainly would do whatever I possibly could to help somebody out if they were truly in a bad spot because of advice I gave, but I can't promise what that would look like. And uh, I just have to do the best I can and ho- hope people take it in context. We don't have a policy. I mean, I think a policy is a little not disingenuous, you know, not, but, but I, but I think if I came out and I said on the sports card strategy show, I'm going to help you make money flipping sports cards, but I can't be held responsible for the advice that I give you. I don't think that's right to do because that like, I am responsible for the advice that I give you. That's why I, those are like two conflicting sentences. So I'm going to say, I'm going to help you make money flipping sports cards and we're going to be in this together. And we're going to, we're going to have some wins and have some losses, but in the macro, we're going to win more than we lose. And you know, I think I'm your best option. So let's get in it together. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting place that you're in because you do, you do have that risk, like the carry that. And, and I wonder, does it ever weigh on you at all? Yeah, I do take it very seriously. I do take it very seriously. I, I want, you know, I, I see it similar to how like somebody might place a bet on a, on a sporting event and, and be anxious about it. I see it similar to that, but I think it's less risky than that because at the end of the day, like you still have the card. So if what I say doesn't materialize and you still have the card, then there's still another chance that you could profit from that card. And that, and that is part of our recommendations. We do think through, okay, well, if this selling marker doesn't pan out or if the person misses the true selling marker, you know, what happens if they're keeping the card? And that's why we, that's why we're very diligent about trying to underscore what the right cards are. Um, 
and we are fading, I would say like 95% of cards out there. Um, we're, we're focused probably on like 5% of the total market of cards that people could be buying because they're not going to be the ones that truly decrease in value. And that's just part of mitigating the risk. So I do, I go through the thought process of like, yeah, this is risky. Yes. I, I do feel a responsibility for it, but wait a minute. Like this isn't the same thing as betting in a high stakes fantasy league or betting in a high stakes uh, sports book or something like that. This is really like, you're still holding the asset. And so there's still an opportunity for a win, even after what looks like it could be a loss. Okay, no, I appreciate that for sure. Now, follow-up question, then we have some good comments. Do you offer a disclaimer ahead of time to your to your paid subscribers, to your free audience listeners, something saying, you know, just to to, to mitigate your liability or anything like that to uh to just let them know that you know you're you're a big boy. If you're gonna follow this advice, you know, it's on you. Do you do you yes. do any disclaimers? Yes, we do. We have a disclaimer when you do sign up for our premium membership that goes a little bit like we will not be held responsible for any repercussions resulting in your decisions, financial or otherwise. I don't know how legally binding that is, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But it, it's also it's also a free 30 day trial. You know, I think, I think that this is a layered approach on my, from my part, right? Like this is a, this is a layered approach because at the end of the day, if somebody wants to try and hold me legally responsible for their financial situation, they have that prerogative and, and I would have to deal with that, with that. I understand that, but I'm trying to implement, first of all, a process before the person ever pays me anything for my advice to vet me and for me to vet them. And then I'm trying to also mitigate risk along the way with my recommendations and create content. We don't do set it and forget it stuff. I think sports card school is the closest thing that we have to evergreen content, but we update that every week. And so we're constantly coming out with content. We do sell alerts. So we're going to tech, we text you. I'm not going to throw the number out on your show, but if you watch my show, there's a number that we throw out where you can text sports cards to a number to get sell alerts so that's my way of basically saying like we're trying as hard as we possibly can to help people not miss the selling marker okay okay all right let's change it up for a moment uh we're going to talk about the the 7980 opici case the the big fine because there's a lot of talk in the chat laura introduced the topic said what's the sealed wax strategy to the 1979 opici heritage auction item uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's a good it's a good question. I'm just going to read some of the some of the responses from the chat, and I'll comment on them. Mike Petty says if they pull 30 Gretzkys, which I think it's 27 or likely in there, uh, they will only lose 1.8 million dollars. That's the strategy. It's called the bigger fool theory. My two cents, because uh, Paul doesn't know. I do. Jeremy might have a thought. I do have a thought. I'm consistent with what Mike Petty said. This is not something that you open. You open it, you lose. 75, 80% of the amount you spent on that thing. It is what it is so valuable because it is in its original uh, form. Now it isn't because to, to, in order to authenticate that, to open it and make sure it is what it was, which is good. Now we know for sure that it, that it does have 7980 Opeachy cards in there and it does not have GI Joe cards or something else. Funny how we all go to GI Joe now, but I've done the math, you know, a pack of that, a pack, is like about a thousand bucks. There's 700 and something packs in there. That's only 700 and something thousand dollars. This thing's going to go for well over 2 million. So right there, you're going to lose at least $1.3 million if you were to open it and sell the packs off one at a time. If you open the cards and you get 27 Gretzkys, there's going to be no tens or nines in there. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Zero tens or nines. You'll be very lucky to get any eights. You're probably getting sevens. What's a seven worth? Seven grand, probably around seven grand right now. What's seven times 27? About $200,000, right? So now, now you're losing 2 million. So it makes no sense to buy this thing and open it. That's, that is money down the toilet. This is, a, this is a case of the sum is worth a lot more than its parts. Its parts are going to kill the value. So this is a showpiece 
It's a big, boring box that is a showpiece. That's what it is. It is an investment, and the value comes because it is unopened. It is a sealed, it is an authenticated, it is a sealed case that's been authenticated and resealed. And I think that, 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 that that's great. But I think that at the end of the day, what's in there is also important. And to me, it's a cool item. Is it worth $3 million, 2 to $3 million? No, not for me because I'm going to look what's it. Now, if the market says it's worth it, then that's worth it. Who might argue? But I think that, um, that that whoever ends up opening that thing one day, whether that's you know this year or 100 years down the road, uh, they're going to lose a ton of money on that thing. So this is a, it's great for headlines. It's good. A lot, I've got people texting me, Paul, they're texting me these articles like three times a day. It's, it's over now, but I was getting it so, from everybody. It's like, I know guys, I know about this, you know, pretty funny, but um, vintage card collector says the play is it's the only one ever found. And years down the road, someone wants it more and will pay up. It's not about opening anything. Exactly. That's exactly right. He goes on to tell Laura the values in the full case being intact, not selling one box at a time because sealed boxes are out there already. They are, but that's probably the best way is to sell the boxes. But even then, I think you're going to lose the, what's a box worth 150 grand and there's 16 boxes in there. Well, that's not terrible. What's that? 2.4 million? Not bad. No. Yeah, I think that's right. Not bad, but I think there's still... Uh, risk there as well. Paul, anything you'd like to say about this uh this this box? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's not a sports card strategy really to open wax. You you nailed it earlier when you said like you're glad that there are people who open wax in the hobby because that's how we get the singles circulated that we really want to try to target, but it's not a sports card strategy to open wax. And I do I think my only other thought is that like the point that you made about, I know about this guys, like that happens to me too. I'll have friends and family that are not in the hobby at all. They'll be texting me about these big sales at auctions and stuff. And I think I sort of look at what we do at the sports card strategy show. It's almost a completely different vertical than, than what we're talking about with stuff like the 1979 OPG sealed auction and stuff. I mean, it's almost like, like, it's just not even really in the same stratosphere. The only the only similarity is that they're both sports cards, but that's it. Like there's there's nothing relatable to what I would talk about on my show to to this, other than the fact that like ripping wax it does apply down to really any wax. I mean, it's not it's not as risky to open a thousand dollar box of 2023 Prism football because it's only a thousand dollars. But when you do the math the percentages kind of break down the same way. You know, you can get screwed over on a, a much cheaper hobby box of ultra modern stuff the same way that you could opening the 1979 sealed OPG case or boxes of that product. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to do more comments and then I have a uh then I have a, another good question for you. So, first of all, Chris C says nowadays everyone wants to blame someone else for their own decisions. Few take personal responsibility yeah that's got to be a, a a newer generation thing because uh people I, I don't know if i see that in in my generation and older but but I, I i do see it more and more out there bob boozle wants to know if i will conduct a self-audit tonight and launch sports cards live plus the paid version paid content uh after tonight uh, i don't think i can handle any more content than i'm already doing bob boozle but thanks for the vote of confidence chrissy says you don't open it the, the gretzky box it would be like opening an 86 FLIR case. Exactly right. I actually think whoever buys this should be someone who already owns an 86 FLIR basketball case because those two pieces together on a pedestal under under glass with light would be the would be the coolest two boring brown boxes. I think the FLIR is white of all time. Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. My good buddies say the 79 Opeachy case will be the most valuable brown cardboard box of all time. One up. No doubt about it. Cardboard Casino says the value is in the unknown and knowing is half the battle. Yeah, it is mysterious what's in there. Stukes wants to know how many Opeachy Gretzky buyers are even out there. Like 100 a day, Stukes. Gretzky, it's it's probably the most liquid, one of the most liquid cards out there. They're easy to sell. People always are buying them. Mark Santucci says if the 1979 boxes are not opened, now we have supply. Why can't they be a nine if somebody opened them? Why, Mark? Because... 95% of the 
of the Gretzky cards are off-centered or have poor registration or are off-cut, all sorts of reasons why. Um, those are those are the main reasons, I should say. You know, the, the corners and edges are likely good, but everything else is you have a very slim chance of getting even an eight. Uh, maybe you get, maybe out of your 27 Gretzkys, maybe you get five eights and the rest are sevens and a six. Maybe you do get a nine, but a nine's only worth, not even worth 150 grand, not even close to two point to two million something. And you're definitely not getting 27 nines. And then you got to consider population control and all those, all those sort of uh, intangible factors as well. Uh, Fowl Fiball says, I have a sealed box of GI Joe. Chris C has a sealed box of Alf. I love that guys. Fun stuff to have. For sure. Uh, this professor says, here's my merger of content. Jeremy's Sports Cards Live teaches us how to judge eye appeal of Opichi Gretzky rookie. And Paul teaches us how to flip this card. Perfect. Except that, I, okay, I'll leave it at that. Maybe Paul does teach us how to flip Gretzky's. Uh, we will see about that in time, I guess. Okay. Bob's big boy, we'll get to your question shortly. I see it for the second time. Thank you for reminding me. Here's my next question for you, though, Paul. It is. My question is, and this is this is the first question I had when I thought about having you on the show. How is it that you, <laughs> NoOffSeason.com, Sports Card Strategy Show, ha- have, for what I see, my perception, what I, what and I, all the content I consume, I've never seen anybody come after you for selling advice, and I see other people getting attacked for doing similar to what you do. How is it? Now, I listen, I think the, to me, the answer is because you're just a likable guy. Like for me, you're a likable guy. You're transparent. Maybe I'm stealing your answer. I'll let you answer. So just to, to put a ball on my question, how have you avoided criticism and attack from hobby people? I'm glad that you gave your your answer. Um, I think that that hopefully that's part of it. I think part of it could be that we're not on people's radar yet. You know, I think I think like we're up and coming. Um, there could be criticism in in my future for that. Uh, I think part of it is that I really do put a lot of work into not only my craft, but also expectations management, if you will. I think, I think managing people's expectations so that they understand what they're getting and what they're not getting and why they're paying what they're paying and things like that. I think that's critical to any business. I think it's critical to keeping a a good rapport with your customer base. And so I think I can only really speak to why we haven't really had any negative feedback from our customer base, but I can't really speak to why other people out there haven't criticized us enough. I can only um, guess that maybe we're just not on their radar yet, but I think that if we do get on their radar, I would like to think that we would be able to handle it or win them over, so to speak, uh, in a similar fashion to, to how we've been able to navigate things so far. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to if you do get it. I just say that because there's not a lot there's there's not a lot of uh, free thinking that goes on for in in from some of the the uh, the contingent of attackers or, or or you know critics I would say. So I, my my advice to you, Paul, is you know um and the you know you don't consume a lot of content I don't think and maybe that's a good maybe that's something you should consider doing because you know being after being on here tonight. And I think I mentioned this to you the other day when we were chatting that there's risk that this could lead to some of that. And, you know, I hope it doesn't because I genuinely, I genuinely think you're a nice guy. You mean well, you're, but, but you are offering a service that could cost people money. If, if you don't, if you make them, you know, you're not batting a thousand. The professor has put some really nice comments in here um, about sort of how you do do it. And I think it's nice that you do have uh, him in here kind of providing a bit of a testimonial for you. That's a good thing. Um, but yeah, just, you know, you never know what, what could come. I believe you. I think that it's probably inevitable that there are some critics out there that have yet, that have yet to provide their opinion on me to, to their audience. And, and so I do think what you said is probably 
best for me, which is to uh, try to stay focused on what I'm doing and and be the best at what I what I consider myself to be my focus area. Try to be the best at that and not really worry about what other people are saying. But I but I can't pretend like that wouldn't be hard. Right. I mean that like it's everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be appreciated and no one really wants to be criticized or, or hated in any way. And so, um, I think that, you know, talking to you has helped me sort of mentally prepare for, um, for things to come and, and, uh, we'll see what happens, but, um, I'm glad you asked the question and, um, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's my honest answer. I, I just really don't know. I just really don't know why we haven't been dr- drugged through the mud yet, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it, it's it's likely, you know, it's likely inevitable. But um, but the other thing I like what you said is, you know, who like who cares what other people think? If you're if you are if you feel what you're doing is with good intention and you are mitigating risk as best as you can, and you do have somewhat of a disclaimer out there for people so they know what they're getting into, I think I think those are all the measures that you should be taking and hopefully uh, you, you stay out of trouble that way. A uh, vintage card collector says have a lock disclaimer policy reviewed by a lawyer. Probably not bad advice, but leave that to you. Mike Petty says no free thinking when the outcome is predetermined. He even said it's like gambling, like the guys picking football games, stick to free content and save yourself a jail sentence. That's my advice. I don't know if anyone's afraid of going to jail, but uh you know, maybe getting a, a knee knocked out is, is something else to be concerned about. Uh, Jeff's card journey says, I don't understand all this gambling on cards. Why don't you just go into the bookmaking advice business? Sports gambling is all legal now. Well, you said it earlier, Paul, that at the end of the day, you still have your cards um, and cards are fun. I mean, but I'll let you answer uh, Jeff's question a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm just doing what I love to do. I'm like, there's a, there's a bunch of different things that I could be doing related to cards. And that's what I love about the hobby is like the hobby is an industry. We were talking about this off air. It's like, it's, it's an industry that happens to be a very, very popular hobby has been for obviously decades. And I'm just doing what I love to do. So I appreciate people saying like, Hey, this might be less risky. This might be better. I get it. But like, all those things are not what I love to do. What I what I love to do is to try to figure out what cards are going to go up in value, why they're going to go up in value, when to buy them, when to sell them, how best to buy them and how best to sell them. That's really what drives me. So I'm not trying to make money off of people. I'm not trying to trick people. There's a million other things I could be doing to make money in the hobby. I would rather just do what I love to do. And so creating content around this is is really what, what drives me and trying to figure out how to do it myself as well. So, okay, good. Okay. couple, I uh, got two comments sort of on, on how you handle things and then two specific questions on strategy. So the professor here says, Paul mitigates backlash because of his continued transparency of how much he paid for cards in his dialogue with his audience. He gives opinion and also follows his opinion personally. So that's one of the reasons why uh, you, you've avoided some. Cardboard Profit says people still need to think for themselves. Even the best investors still get it wrong sometimes. Assuming you're following someone who knows what they're doing, it's helpful data, but not a crystal ball. I think that's a very astute comment. People should follow that. Now, two strategy questions. First one, Bob's big boy says, so uh, do you do you follow the calendar strategy? For instance, you buy quarterbacks in March and sell in July, August, 30% profit like clockwork. You buy baseball in November, sell in February, March at 30% profit on a ba- on a schedule, basically timing the seasons. Um, I think that I actually think that's a good strategy. I've seen it work in the past. What about you, Paul? Pretty close to that, Bob's big boy. I mean, I think we we do our own version of exactly what you're saying. I think we're also tweaking that constantly because that while you're correct, it also changes year to year slightly. And then what I like about it is that like new releases will come out and new players will have cards that they didn't have before. And so the, I I would say the base, I think Bob's big boy nailed the baseline. That's the baseline. And then we're, we're layering things over that, um, that may have higher upside and, and not a whole lot of risk. And we're trying different things within that that might be a little bit more fun, like with some flyers and things that are like penny stocks, right? So, uh, but yeah, I think Bob's big boy pretty much nailed it. (laughs) Not going to lie. 
Good, good, good to hear. And then T. Jones says, "Do you factor in injury proneness in your prospecting?" Yeah, that's a factor. I think part of picking the right player has to do with injury history. It has to do with off the playing surface reputation. It has to do with the organization that they play for. And so there's many factors. It also has to do with like hobby hype. Like, you know, there's such a thing as a hobby darling, right? It's hard to kind of define what makes a hobby darling other than the fact that just everybody in the hobby happens to gravitate to somebody. And some of that could be social media. Some of that could be like, you know, Bronny James, his dad is LeBron James. So you, you can't, he's a polarizing figure right now because he's not playing well. Right. So we've talked about Bronny James a lot on the sports card strategy show, but because he's, his name technically is LeBron James Jr. You can't ignore him. So sometimes it has to do with like a family member, um, having had a good career, having a reputation. So, um, but injury proneness, yeah, definitely factor in that in along with all those other things. What about Mardi Gras? Zion. Bob Boozle makes a good comment. Mardi Gras this week. Lots of food. I hope you all sold your Zion cards. Do you now? I mean, this is a it's a you know, it's a funny comment, but it actually makes a good point. There are other things that go like one thing I always say, it doesn't matter what data you follow, what what advanced statistics you are following, those are not. Uh, they are not the they are not a hundred percent guarantee to to tell you what future performance is going to be like because there are so many intangibles we do not know what is going on in the dressing room we do not know what's going on in people's in in their personal lives we do not know if they just if they're about to break up with their with their girlfriend they're about to get dumped if their girlfriend just cheated on them if they're about to be I mean it with Canadian junior hockey right now there's a whole mess with uh with, you know these guys are in trouble. We didn't know that until we know it. So do you have any sort of safety net or thought towards some of these other things going on that we don't have at, that are not statistics driven? There's no marker for them because we don't know. We don't know, number one, if they're going to happen. And if they do, sometimes we don't even know that they did happen. Yeah. The first one would be like the buy-in price. So, I mean, a good example, I mentioned Shadur Sanders earlier. I'll comment on Zion here in a second, but I mentioned Shadur Sanders earlier. I'm buying a lot of Shadur Sanders right now. He's just underpriced for what he is going to be, not, not even as an NFL player, but just simply as a projected top five overall pick in the NFL draft 2025. And so this just has his buy-in price. Like, I don't know Shadur Sanders personally. I don't know what he's got going on. Like, I, I don't know how much he really cares about football. I mean, he might be the most dedicated football player of all time, or he might be like Johnny Manziel. Like we don't know yet, but I think to mitigate some of that is the buy-in price. Like ask yourself, can I afford the 200, 300, $400 that I might put into this card? Could I afford for that to go to zero? Because the upside of this card could be a thousand or it could be 1500. So so I think that that's really one of the only things that we can do. We can ask ourselves, can I afford for this to go to zero, right? Um, Zion's interesting, though, because his his 2019 silver prism PSA 10 is down. It's at its all-time floor. And so it's actually not a great time to sell that card, even though it is Mardi Gras. But uh, that was a funny comment. Okay, so we're we're out of time here. We got We got three minutes left. I'm going to ask you one more question. It comes from Chris C. And then we're going to wrap up. He wants to know, Paul, do you ever plan on giving any longer term hold advice versus short term flips? Yeah, I do. I like that because I think like what I mentioned earlier about you still have the card. Well, I want that to be a card that's still a card that you want to hold long term. So I think like a, a, a Giannis, you know, PSA 10 2013 prism. Uh, Anthony Edwards, 2020 silver prism PSA 10. You know, these are guys that, you know, Anthony Edwards could get injured. He could do something silly. We, we don't know that. Like we just talked about, but like that card is, is still going to be a card that you could hold long-term. So while sometimes it irks me and makes me anxious to hold the card long-term, and that's kind of where I come from with all of my advice. I do think that uh, I do love to factor into every card that we recommend that somebody buys for the most part. Well, let me say this for any pro rookie card, pro uniform rookie card, 
we are making all of our recommendations based on what Chris C is saying. These all are cards that you could hold long-term. The only cards that we're making recommendations on that aren't cards that we want you to hold long-term are college or pre-rookie cards because we know that pro uniform cards are going to come out and they're going to make those not obsolete, but they're going to make them basically less desirable. Yeah, I agree with that last comment for sure. Eric Stefano says, I've really cut down a lot of my hobby content except for you guys. Thanks, Eric. Love to hear that. Very nice. Mark Santucci says, five out of five stars. Jeremy, congrats on the new house. Thank you very much, Mark Santucci. Really appreciate that. I, okay, well, listen, I got to say uh, to you, Paul, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for facing some of the fire here. And, uh, you know, always a pleasure chatting with you. Like I said, you're, you're, you're just an easy guy to talk to. Nice guy. You got a great attitude. And um, so I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you for a few hours this week because I got to know you even better. Bob's Big Boy says, great shows. Oh, thanks, Bob's Big Boy. Got to say, I appreciate, as I said at the beginning, guys, this is the last show in this room. In this room. This is the last show. The movers are coming on Wednesday. And I'll be in a new room. I'm going to show you guys something I've never shown before. There we go. That is, that's the safe. That's the, that's the safe. That's where the collection has been living for a long time. Uh, and I, I am not taking the safe with me to the new place because it's too heavy. They can't get it up. No mover is willing to risk taking it up my stairs. Luckily, the new homeowners have uh, have agreed to let me leave it here and they're going to keep it. I just got to give them the combination. So uh, yeah, I'm not moving it, Mike Petty. I don't have to move it. Going to have to get something new. But um, yeah, that's, uh, I thought on the last show, I'll show you guys the safe where I keep my my cards. Um, yeah, but Paul, you are, the, you are the last guest over five. Listen, this is episode 216 of Sports Cards Live, but I've done over... 500 live streams, most out of here. A few while I've been on the road on travel, but uh, there you go, man. That's a, a bit of a, I don't know, it's something that you're the guest on this last show. Next week's guest, Coach Co, will be the first guest in the new, in my new house where I have a, a studio kind of ready to go in there. Get good dad. I'm certainly not leaving them my cards. Uh, I am not leaving them my cards. Those will be transported at an undetermined time uh in in big secret big secret yeah. for sure for sure uh chrissy says the 79 beachy safe there you go bob boozle happy yes i will be moving on valentine's day wednesday is valentine's day that's the day that the uh that the movers are coming but i can tell you i've had possession of the new house since jan 31 so i've actually been moving we've been uh moving a lot of stuff over the time so it's gonna be pretty smooth we're already kind of moved in except for the furniture Paul, the beds and everything, along with a few other things. Laura, thank you for your time and joining us. Appreciate the comment. Thank you, Brett S. Appreciate that. Bob Boozle says, shows always jump the shark after a new set. Don't let that happen, Jeremy. I'll try not to, Bob. I will try. Thanks for the warning as well. Mike Petty says, hope you trust the next guy that delivers your save. Congrats. Thank you, Mike Petty. We'll see how that'll go. I'm sure. Appreciate that. Laura has a guard dog. Good stuff. All right, guys. Again, thank you for joining us. Please, if you're not yet subscribed, subscribe. Check out nooffseason.com, Sports Card Strategy Channel on YouTube, where you can subscribe to Paul. If you are interested, please do that as well. Paul, before you chat, get your final comments in right now. Paul, final words to you, and then we're going to be done. Thank you so much to you, Jeremy. This has been so much fun. Hopefully it is just uh, the latest of many more to come uh, between us creating content together. Thank you to the entire Sports Cards Live audience. Love all you guys. You're all more than welcome to join us in the nooffseason.com family. YouTube.com slash Paul Hickey Sports Card Strategy Show. Thank you so much, everybody. Jeremy, you're the man. Appreciate that, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Michael H. gives two thumbs up. We appreciate that, Michael H. All right, guys. That's going to be it for the week. I won't be back on live stream until next Saturday with Coach Co. You might know that's his that's his call sign. That's how he starts his episodes. Thank you to the professor. We appreciate that and all your information on a constant basis. Guys, we'll see you next time from the new location. And with that, this episode of Sports Cards Live is 
now. Over. Have a great week, everybody. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.